so glad you're availing yourselves to the powerful message provided by Wisdom Connection, the media ministry of Wisdom International Network Ministries, where individuals are being helped to shape their future to fulfill their God-given destinies. We pray the ensuing message will enable you to find fulfillment in life. Now, let's receive the message. You see, we understand the word agreement. Shout it, agreement. You see, agreement is lighter when it comes to covenant. Because agreement you can break, but covenants are enacted in the annals of heaven. I'll take my time because it's a teaching so that those that follow on Facebook will have the chance to also understand what we're being taught here in wisdom. If you bump on this video, it's not by chance. God has led me to start a new series called Covenants. So follow so slowly so that you can understand your position in Christ and why God took his time to send his son to die for you. So covenant simply says that God is looking so much for a relationship from humanity that he left all his creation, the beauty and the grandeur of his creation, that he brought man here and decided to what, go on a journey with man for a relationship. You see, without covenant, relationship will be not effective. Without covenant, there wouldn't be any proper benefits from relationship. So God is the first initiator. Note the words I'm going to use. He's the first initiator of every relationship you could think about to the most powerful relationship on earth, which is the marital relationship. See, Christ compared his relationship with the church as a what? A man going to woo and marry a woman. So he says that man loved the woman just like Christ loved the church, which is simply what? The unconditional kind, not the filial or the what? The eros kind of love. Because a relationship that comes from God first is championed by agape love. The love unconditional. So when we're talking about covenant, we're going deeper than what you feel. We're going deeper than how you see the person. We're going deeper than what somebody said about the person to a place where you know that you know that you want to have a relationship so bad with this person that you will die. To see the person live. That's what I'm going to talk about. So covenant is deeper. Tell somebody covenant is deeper. It's deeper like than we are co-workers. Let's go have lunch. And the day you don't have money to pay that lunch, the person ceases to have friendship with you. Covenant is deeper. You see, God makes covenants and keeps covenants. He is the initiator and the keeper of covenants. He is the covenant-making and the covenant-keeping God. And when you study the word of God carefully, you can see that God's effort from Genesis to Revelation is to have a covenant relationship with man, which is individuals, ethnic groups, and nations. God does not do things by chance, but every step God takes, he makes sure that he does it in a particular order and he has an objectivity based on what he does what he does 
If I would have to read a lot of scripture, it would look too much like a lecture. But I'll give you a key scripture and give you the foundation. Then as we go, I'll be throwing scriptures in for you to see. When you read Deuteronomy chapter 8, where most of us take our uh, uh, fundraising, offerings, uh, seed collecting uh, scriptures from, you see that scripture is not basically meant for fundraising and collecting money. It's, its foundation and basic understanding is rather God bringing his covenant people's mind to his covenant with them. You see, the covenant has byproducts, and one of them is it gives us power to make wealth. So let's read it. Let's read it. I'll take from 14 so they can learn something, and I'll pray God to give me that sincere, pure heart so that this word could flow to you like a laser to cut deep into your heart, to open you up for God's best. Because our God is a God of every good thing on this earth. Are you there? Yes. All right, let me go a little up. It says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Verse 12, Let, Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and have built goodly houses and dwell therein, and when thy head and thy flock multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart, read 14 with me, I want you to see that, then thine heart be lifted up, thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fierce serpents and scorpions and drought where there was no water? Who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint? Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. 17. And thou say in thy heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this world. 18. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. Pause. You see, so the writer of this particular scripture is bringing the people of covenant to a place of remembrance. He wasn't just talking to them about money, but he's talking to them about the fact that their fathers had a God, and that God made a covenant with their fathers. And because of that, they've seen all these good things the Bible liberated. Did you see that? That's why I went up to read to you. So God did not bless them to take their money. He blessed them because he has a covenant with them. So godly covenants brings about good things. If you have a covenant with a good God, that God's goal in the covenant is to show you off. So let's finish the 18, then I wouldn't be long-winded and lose my track. Look at that. It says, but thou shalt remember, because human beings have a short memory. You feed them today, they turn around and curse you out. You give them your best today, next time they want to take your best and just leave you bankrupt. Think about it. 
Human beings are so fallible that when God is drawing them closer, their attitude is running them away from God. Are you looking at what I'm looking? Say, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He, the God of covenants, that give thee power to get well. Not because He just wants you to be pompous and fill you with the richest person on the earth, but look at the condition. Read with me. Ready? Read. That he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto thy fathers, as it is this day. Let's finish with the 19. And it shall be, if thou do all, your God, and walk after the gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, that ye shall surely what. So nobody will perish if you remember God and stay in relationship with God. Can I reverse the 19? Nobody will perish if we remember the Lord our God. You see, one of God's pet peeves, his greatest, God's greatest dislike is for him, for him to help you make it and then you give praise and glory to other gods. That's why the Bible says he's a jealous God. Not, not like the jealousy you see on the street that people slicing their girlfriends face with blades and smashing their, their, their boyfriend's car with what? Baseball bat. That's, that, that's not that kind of jealousy. A kind of jealousy that breaks his heart for losing you to an idol or to a smaller God. Your car can be your God. Your money can be your God. Your job can be your God. With that said, let me backtrack and go back to my subject, covenant. You see, when God created the heavens and the earth, God's greatest goal and intention was to maintain a perpetual relationship with humanity, not with his creation. Because his creation have already received the part of God. He created everything and he said everything he did was good, right? And it was perfect. But how can everything God created on earth be maintained if he doesn't bring a piece of himself down here to identify with what he has created so that he would dominate and replenish it? So God is looking for a family. He created Adam, brought Eve from the loins of Adam. And the two of them, the Bible said, became one. He called them Adam. So in God, there's neither male nor female. Those of you religious people who wants to discredit women in ministry, that's another subject. So after he created them, you see, God's bloodline is in their vein. God's spirit is in them. So God made sure that they will subject themselves to his authority. His ordinance. Hence God giving them what? Instructions of what they can do and what they cannot do. Somebody said if God is all-knowing, why did he do that? And he didn't know Adam would falter. Yes, God is all-knowing, but guess what? God is the God of principles. Because he is a sovereign God, makes decisions on his own and executes on his own, he created man the same way. In his image and likeness created he them. So he says that for us to have a very great relationship, let me cre let's create somebody like our kind so that they will 
dominate and rule on earth, why we dominate and rule in the heavenlies. You see, so Adam's failure was not because he disobeyed God, but he thwarted God's plans. Think about it. Father raised you, gave you everything you need for life. You became successful and you walked away. No father will rejoice. Ah, clap, 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 clap. He did well. That was my plan. Now he's looking for a young man to inherit his possessions and run his empire. You're running all over the place. You see, when we take it religiously, we'll go too far. But naturally, it makes sense that when your father raised you, you have to help maintain his legacy. So God has created the heavens and the earth. Everything was beautiful. Went to the sea, look at all the creatures in the sea. You went into the sky, saw everything in the skies. Went to various spheres, he saw that everything he created was good. But God didn't want to what? manage this by himself. So he set an oversight over it. And that was man. Look at the question the psalmist asks in Psalm 8, 4 to 8. Man of God, you can open it. Psalm 8, I love that psalm. Psalm 8. We're talking about covenants, but I know you'll be blessed when you take your time and follow us slowly. Amen? Psalm 8, read from verse 1 to 8 very quick and very fast, and I'll pause and explain a few, all right? So ready, read, sir. O oh Lord, our Lord. O oh Lord, our Lord. How excellent is thy name in all the earth, who have set the glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength, strength. Because, of thy enemies. because of thy enemies. That thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. You are four? Three. Read four quickly. What is man that thou art mine? What is man that your mind is so occupied of him? What does that suggest to you? Ultimate love. Come on, we're all human here. You can't fall in love with somebody and just walk away from the person's presence and forget. That's not love. But when your mind is full of somebody, you're thinking how they're faring. You're thinking if they're good. You're thinking if they have money. If they cough, can I help you? Can I take you to the hospital? It becomes sometimes annoying when you're in love. Can I get a witness? Why? Because you see, the person's personal existence has become your responsibility. So the psalmist have studied and have observed and has watched. And I've looked at God, look at the whale, how beautiful God's creation in the sea is. Look at lions and look at all the creation. He said, God, you don't think about these people or these things like you think about man. So the psalmist asks the question, what is man that your mind is perpetually full of him? And the son of man that you visit him, that you made him a little lower than a heavenly being. Angels simply means creatures of heaven. But the writers didn't have the right word English, so they said angels. All he's going to say, you just made man a little lower yourself. Look at the first four verses. Read, ready, read. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory You've and honor. crowned him with glory and honor. You think lion is majestic? No. What creature do you think is so majestic and beautiful? The elephant? No. You see, he didn't just create man, 
but he created man and crowned him with glory and honor. That's why I believe the book of uh, Peter says that ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Why holy? Because God has set you apart for himself and for the establishment of his kingdom on earth. Have you seen a king crowned with gold and diamonds and jewelry? Can you go in front of that, of that king and misbehave? God has crowned you that way. Amen. And he did that through his covenant relationship. Not through religious affiliation. He did it through his covenant relationship. So the son is saying, what is man? That your mind is so full of him and the son of man that you're visiting and you crown him just a little lower than us. Continue. Thou made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou may all things under his feet. All right, this verse is in Genesis 1 28. Remember and go back to it. When God created Adam and Eve, they would have been useless just enjoying God's freely if God didn't give them dominion. Say dominion. dominion. We will go through all these words as we go. You see, dominion simply tells you there's a domain that needs to be what? Watch over dominion. The word says itself, kings dominion, kingdom. So when God saves you, He's not saving you to give you Mercedes Bentley and all that. It's all part of the covenant. But rather, you have to master your authority to rule and reign in this life through the covenant relationship. So dominion is not just having. Authority and abusing and misusing your authority and bringing every human being down because you have dominion. But dominion rather means that God has brought you to a place to experience potential that comes from God Himself. When you say this should happen, it should happen because you dominate, you rule, you reign. How can you use a dominion that you don't understand? That's one of the reasons why I'm teaching this covenant series. How can you have a dominion from somebody who wields power and dominion all over the world and his kingdom rules over all? And you don't submit to that person, but you still want to reign. You see, that's where all these other uh, divination and, and occultic and, and demonic powers come into play because they don't want to go through the right channel. It's too far fetched, it's too difficult. It, it needs so much discipline. It needs to hear from the creator of the heavens and the earth. So they will go to another source that challenged that same authority and was determined. Are you getting the picture? Lucifer and his cohorts looked down and said, Wow, we're losing our place. We thought we we're the next in charge. When you read the characteristics and the resume of Lucifer in heaven, the Bible says that his very presence creates traffic. This is a powerful entity. When he talks, the only person that can stop what he's saying or change what he's saying is God Himself. And he wanted all power. You see, he's powerful, but he's not all powerful. Somebody say hallelujah. So when he looked at how God was treating man, and God was going to download all that authority he so much converted from God to man, he interrupted God's agenda. 
a man in a very uh, so ignorant and stupid way handed everything to him on a silver platter. This is the beginning of covenants. Because if Adam had not done that, God would not set a plan of redemption in motion in Genesis 3.15 because that is the most powerful evangelical scripture or evangelism scripture you can ever find. Because there has been a glitch in the system. Those of you that deal with metrics, God will have to reroute, say rerouting, to send the seed of a woman to bruise the head of the serpent. So the authority will be taken back. So in the Bible, we have only two covenants, the new covenant and the old covenant. How many of you have noticed that? But from Genesis to Revelation, you can trace a lot of covenants, all in God's attempt to reestablish his relationship with humanity. So that his redemptive plan will be established so that God can extend his kingdom back to earth. If I finish and I don't say anything, understand this little small piece and you'll be good as a child of God. God's intention was not for us to become church heads. God's intention was for us to what? Take dominion and execute his purpose on earth. So like the United States of America have what a consulate in Accra, Ghana. And when something happens to you, you can run to that consulate and it will look as though uh, uh, you are in the United States of America, even though you are in Ghana the same way when you accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, even though you are on earth, you are not coming from here. You are an ambassador plenipotentiary of the kingdom of God. And you have the power to legislate. That's why he said, what you allow in heaven should be allowed on earth. What you allow, disallow on earth should be disallowed in heaven. There's a connection from humanity to divinity. But this only will happen when you have a covenant relationship with the one that created the heavens and the earth. Let me throw a few scriptures to you. I told you I have a lot of scriptures. If I do open the Bibles to, open the Bibles to, you might be sleeping and you might not get it. So get a few scriptures and let's go. You alright? We have the Old and the New Testament suggesting to us that the book we read, that holy book is a book of covenants. He has covenants with individuals. Don't forget that. He has covenant with uh, ethnic groups. He has covenant with individuals whose he is trying to use to build a family that will exemplify his covenant. And then he picked a nation to show us how he could rule and reign in the affairs of man. When um, the book of Nazar was misbehaving in Daniel 14, sorry, Daniel chapter 4, you can read that. God told him, I will do X, Y, and Z to you. I don't want to read it and I don't have it off head, but you can read it. I will do X, Y, and Z to you so that all the nations of the earth will know and understand that I rule and I'm involved in the affairs of men. There are some gods, come on, come on, let me just give you a little tidbit of God. 
There are some gods that cannot cross Catholic nations. They're only effective in a small tribe, in a small village. There are some gods, when you transpose them from a village to a big city, their effectiveness runs out. You know what? Because they are primitive gods that drinks blood and like mud. They're small water gods. When you bring them to New York City, they cannot pray. It's too noisy here. It's too fast-paced. Those gods cannot stand the fast-pacedness of New York City. So when you give your life to a God, ask yourself, what kind of God have I given my life to? Is the God that created the heavens and the earth? Or the God that can only kill but cannot heal? Think about it. Because we can covenant with different entities. Based on our ignorance, we are taught to believe traditionally that we have gods. Yes, we do. But if the Jehovah God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, is still alive and is involved in my life, why do I go so low to a God that can just give me crumbs and not the whole thing that I'm looking for? We're talking about covenants. Are you still here? So God told the, the people to let Nebuchadnezzar know that he's a God that is involved. God is involved in your life. You are his covenant child. He wants to make sure that everything about you goes so right that people will ask you how you are able to make it so they can get some glory. Can I say that God wants credit from us? Yeah. Somebody said, oh, but God doesn't need you. That's the greatest lie I've ever heard. I need God and God need me. Say it after me. I need God and God need me. Humanly speaking, you need the one sitting next to you and the person needs you back. That's what we call networking, isn't it? Without proper networking, this whole world will crumble overnight. So let me go on my subject so that I won't deviate. We have God who from the foundation of the world is looking for a relationship, not religious affiliation. He's looking for a relationship. Now write this down. Covenants are bonds God makes with individuals or a group of people in order to establish his redemptive plan on earth. Why redemption? Because the first man God made the covenant with failed him. So that's God's number one goal, not to give you money. But you see, when people make a covenant with that God and God start blessing them, they soon forget. Say, soon forget. That's why I read the Deuteronomy 8.18. Don't forget that there is a God who can do all things. And he can give you power to make wealth. Did you get that down? Yes. He is a mighty God who chooses a person, a group of people, or a nation. It's his choice. That's why he's the initiator and the what? The finality of a covenant. If God doesn't choose you, you can work yourself so hard and not come out with anything. He chooses. Say he chooses. he chooses. Good. God's covenant are in two forms. We'll go to the types. But look at the two forms of covenant God makes. He makes a unilateral covenant and a bilateral covenant. To some, he'll make a covenant with them 
give them the terms and conditions of the covenant, and then he takes the responsibility to make sure it happens. And to some, he gives them terms and conditions. If you do this, I'll do that. If you do this, I'll do that. So if you don't do your part, you know you've already failed. You can't hold him responsible. Are you getting the picture? I'll break it all down. That's why I want to take my time. So if you don't understand how God operates, you won't judge God for letting some people pay for their sins and some are doing worse and they are still thriving. If it's a bilateral, it means that hand go. Come on, hand go. If hand doesn't come, the hand that goes will start. But if it's a unilateral, then it means that he has taken upon himself that I've chosen you as a people. And because I've chosen you, I'll make sure I protect you in every way. That's the unconditional love we talk about when we talk about God. God cannot love if he's not loved. God cannot love if he's not loved. So God doesn't love. God is love. You can't love God if God doesn't take a piece of his love in you for you to have love for him. Imagine you have a, a nice beautiful girl, a nice beautiful guy that you've fallen head over heels with him and you love them and they don't love you back. How can you have a relationship? See, naturally, people will bend down backwards, do everything they can and stoop so low till they realize that they've wasted their time for 30 years. Because a relationship without a gap in love will not go anywhere. Did you hear what I said? So God is not going to love us. God is the love itself. So in his covenant relationship with us, he puts a peace in our hearts so that we could have that connection. So Paul said we love God because he first loved us. Can I say that again? We love God because he first loved us. Because if God didn't love us, we don't have anything as all love to come into God. But God is not hatred. God is not resentment. God is not, now he slapped me, I will hate him for the rest of my life. God is love. So it means God does not change under any circumstances, under any situation, under any what condition whatsoever. In the night, God is light. In the sun, midday, God is light. In the gloomy moment, God is light. God is all these good things. So if God is love, I cannot love God if he doesn't give me a piece of himself to love him. So under covenant, we must understand that it must be initiated and run and finalized with love. Amen. It makes sense? Good. So God always have a plan. And I said he will pick a person, he will pick a group of people, pick nations, so that he would establish this covenant relationship with the purpose of gaining his family back. Redemption. What is redemption? To redeem, in business sense, is you lost your house, but somebody helped you to get the house back. So when you say my house was redeemed, it was sold, but I bought it back. That's God's motive for covenant. The final aspect, after his gain us back, he uses us to establish 
what he couldn't establish in Adam, establishing his kingdom, an extension of his throne on earth. You get that? Let me say this, and then maybe I'll try to conclude. I told you we'll deep, deep and go into other phases and aspects. When God is able to establish a covenant with his people, he never negates, he never turns back. He doesn't change his mind. Because remember, I've told you God is what? His love. When he says, even do X, Y, and Z, and I'll do X, Y, and Z, he still never turns back. But what God does that I've noticed through scriptures, and sometimes through some personal stuff I've seen, he creates situations and circumstances around you so that you, you will juggle your memory to know where you're coming from so that a grace will be graced to you, you come back. If you don't understand that, look at somebody that God blessed with a lot of financial wealth that walked away from God. They lose it. I've seen some people come back with crying and tears. And God is so merciful. He receives them back, redirects their thinking, trains them well in his principles. And when they make it again, you see, because they understand the covenant relationship, the wealth is maintained. So it's not everything you go through that is the devil. Sometimes God is trying to juggle your memory. God is bringing you to a place of knowing that, listen, you're nobody but a bag of chips. You're important because I have a connection and a relationship with you. I don't know what you've had so far, but I'm talking about covenants. I'm talking about a thing that when you get yourself involved, there's nothing like turning back. Forever. That was never. See, so God, in the Hebrew tradition of the word covenant, which is not that strong, but we take it as covenant, it means to cut, say to cut. Say like you're going to say to cut. So in the real statement, I'm going to cut a covenant with him. God cuts covenants. It comes from uh, the scripture, Genesis 15, 7 to 18. You can read that where... God met Abraham and God's covenant with Abraham was conditional and he graduated to unconditional. It was what? Bilateral until it graduated to what? Unilateral. Now God trusted Abraham, human being, so much so that he said, well, I can trust you. You know what? You don't have to do anything. I'm going to take this to that next level. And then they cut animals. He instructed them to cut animals into two. You remember? Genesis 15. And they both walked the path. Which is simply saying that God will do it whether you like it or not, but he needs your involvement. God will do it whether you understand it or not, but he needs your involvement. So remember this. God will not do anything without first tying himself with a human vessel who is an extension of himself. I'll repeat that. God will not do anything on earth without tying himself, making a covenant with a human vessel who is an extension of himself. So we ask this question. Can you love or have a relationship with God without love? 
And how can you love God and hate the extension of God called humanity? And how can you love humanity by not loving yourself? I'll end this with this. We'll continue. Maybe the next we'll look at the types of covenants. But I want you to get this foundation very, very key. You see, when God picked a man and breathed into the nostrils of God, it became an extension of God. He says what? Multiply and replenish the earth. So all the human rays are coming from the same source, God, through Adam. So I have to first love myself before I can love you. Or love you and love myself before I can love God. Because when I love myself, I'm loving the God in me. When I love you, I'm loving the God who created the heavens and the earth. And together, God, me, and you can establish the kingdom of God on earth. Let's read two scriptures. John, John 4.20. First John 4.20. And then let somebody open Mark 30, 11, 30, 31. John 4.20. John, first John, the epistle of John, I'm sorry, not the gospel, epistle of John 4.20. Media, social media, family, this is Wisdom Collection. As always, we just want to make sure we give you the best of the best. So we are bringing this series uh, to help you understand your relationship with God so that you can be able to relate properly with God. You have the scripture? Can you read, can you read it for us, please, quickly? If a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Mm. But he that loveth God his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? In this commandment I have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. It's self-explanatory, right? So when we talk about covenants, we have to emphasize on the love aspect. We can't love God and hate ourselves. We can't love God and hate each other. Because it is the greatest commandment Jesus ever gave. We'll come to that part. But before we get there, we'll look at God's attempt in covenanting with different people in the attempt of making sure his, his redemptive purpose or plan is established so that he can use humanity to establish his kingdom. We're not out of message. We'll continue next week with covenants. So... Next week, I want us to look at the different types of covenant. From Genesis to Revelation, God's attempt in establishing his covenant with men. So that you wouldn't be left out and think that God has selected a superior few and the inferior few are supposed to follow. We are all God's people based on a, on a covenant he cut with us. God bless you. This is Wisdom Connection. And I'm your servant, Sam. God bless you.